Growing a successful design business is hard work. There's so much to do and so little time to get it all done, not to mention the actual design work. The good news is that we are here to help. I'm Krista, the WordPress developer and website strategist from KristaRay.co. And I'm Corey, the designer and creative coach from CoreyWoodard.com. In the Get Back to Design podcast, we're going to share strategies and tools to help streamline and grow your design business, ditch the code and anything else you don't love, and well, get back to design. Grab a cup of coffee, open that Illustrator file you've been working on, and let's dive in. Staying in control of your client projects is something that is so important when you're running your own design business, but unfortunately it's one of those things like it doesn't come naturally, especially without extra planning and effort and thought. You're not just going to be good at staying in control from the beginning. Uh, When I started, I did not have the confidence or knowledge to do this. I wasn't even really thinking about it. So I was constantly finding myself with clients walking all over me or not giving guidance throughout my projects like I needed to because our clients do need us to guide them. That's what they hire us for. So Corey and I realize this is a common struggle. So today we're going to go over why it's so important to stay in control of your projects and what steps you can take to keep that control. I am really happy we are talking about this because I think this is, like you said, definitely a common struggle, but most people may not even realize that they're struggling with this. They may feel like they're getting frustrated with their clients for one reason or another, and at the end of the day, it's because they are not the one leading the project. They've kind of taken more of a passive role in the project, even Mm -hmm. though they're the ones doing all the work. And so I do think it's good that we're kind of going over these things so people can get a better idea and make sure that at the end of the day, you know, they are the ones doing the work. They should be leading the project. Um, Yeah, so I'm I'm glad we're talking about this. I like that point. I think a lot of times when we feel like we just had a really bad client, it can be not their fault. It can be our fault for not having control and giving them the guidance we need. So... Yeah, what you said just made me think of that randomly. So let's start with why staying in control of your projects is so important. Um, So first, the most obvious one in my mind is that you don't have to worry about your clients walking all over you. Like there's no room for them to do it because you are guiding things. You're telling them and showing them how it's going to go. But along with that, you know when it's time to put your foot down. So if someone does something that is not okay, you can tell them it's not okay rather than letting it continue and let yourself, you know, get walked all over throughout a project. Um, Also, it's going to be easier to keep your projects on track. So everyone, when you are in control of your project, everyone knows what to expect. You're telling your clients what's coming up. You know what's coming up. You don't have to worry about them changing what's coming up because you're the one that's in control. So that's a really great feeling to have. Um, Just that power of keeping everything moving the way it's supposed to. You also look like the expert your client is expecting you to be. So you're going to be acting like a leader. They're going to feel like, okay, you know, you know what you're doing. You have it under control. There's nowhere for them to question whether or not you actually know what you're doing. And then all of those things kind of tie together to make you feel more confident overall. And I think that's so important because I know when I was getting started, I did not feel confident and it's not a good feeling. You want to go through your projects feeling totally confident, like you're owning it, like 
like you're doing a great job and like you're going to end up with a great result. So all of these things kind of come together to help us out with that, which is really helpful. Yeah, I think all of these are really amazing points. And I think, you know, ending it with you're going to feel more confident is such a key here because especially when you are getting started, like you said, it's hard to feel confident in what you're doing and how you're managing the project itself, you know, the type of work that you're doing sometimes even. So when you can kind of put all these things together and at least start by being the one who is like controlling the project and putting your foot down when you need to, those things are definitely going to help you start feeling more confident, like you said, so you can feel more confident in other areas Mm -hmm. of the projects that you're taking on and your business in general. For sure. So let's move into how to actually stay in control of your project. So we have a few, I don't know, three maybe different things you can incorporate into just the way you do things that are going to help you keep this control. But the very first thing you have to do is set expectations. So you can't just like start a project and just kind of let it happen. You want to set all of these expectations ahead of time. Um, And we talked about this in episode 34. Um, But this is going to start before a project even begins. Like the second someone inquires, these expectations should start being set. And even from your services page, some of these expectations should be set. Um, But a key point of this is being confident in the way you communicate, whether it's on calls or in emails or whatever it is. So a few tips for calls. First, be prepared. So if you can, send a questionnaire before you get on any call so you have an idea of what kinds of questions the potential client might answer. So based on that questionnaire, you can do some research about, you know, things they mentioned. You can know answers to their questions. You can have ideas in mind for their project. So it sounds like, you know, you're coming up with this on the spot, but really you had some time to prepare and say really genius things that you might not have otherwise. So that would probably be best for just general calls, I think. Um, I think sometimes designers get a little overwhelmed with the first like consult call that -hmm. they take before they even book a project. So if you don't have a specific questionnaire that you have sent, you know, before you start this, at least pull up their inquiry email that way that you can get a better idea of what they need, you know, maybe their price point, any kind of initial details you've asked them to share with you and how you can help them so that once you get on that call, you know, right away, you know, those things and you don't have to feel too nervous or feel like you're asking too many questions to try to get that information out of them. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. So no matter what kind of call, I guess the key here is to have as much information as you can get before the call. Never go into a call um, having no clue what the two of you are there to talk about because the more you can prepare, the better you'll be able to um, set expectations on a call. Well, too, and I think when you know what you're going to talk about, you can have a specific time limit instead of where I think some clients get stuck in thinking you're going to be, you know, on the phone or on Skype for however long they need you. We know that's not something we're interested in doing. So you can go on ahead and say, okay, I have 25 minutes to talk about this with you and then I have to, you know, get back to work. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely good to know what you're going to be talking about. Yeah. 
And another part of setting expectations just on calls specifically comes up if you are going to talk about pricing on the call. So if you're talking to a potential client, if you mention pricing, do not question yourself because if you sound doubtful or like you're not sure or like you don't think you're going to pay those prices, that's going to leave room for them to come in and try to lowball you or, you know, make you feel bad about your prices. So if you do state prices on a call, which is something I personally avoid, uh, but if you do it, do it with total confidence do not leave any room for questions. I could not agree with that point anymore. And obviously this is when you are specifically taking on a new project. Sometimes when you are um, working with someone again and maybe you're just giving them a new quote for a new part of their project or something like that, you're obviously going to feel a little more confident and comfortable, but for new projects, another um, good tip I have for you is if you don't know what you would charge, please do not make something up on the spur of the moment on the call. Because I can tell you from experience, I have done this and it is awful because most of the time what you are doing is trying to please the client by picking a number out of you know, thin air and hoping that they like it. And you're not considering if what you are doing is worth more than that or less than that. So you could be undercharging, overcharging. And the last time I did this, by the time the project was over, I was really unhappy. By the time the call was over Mm -hmm. and I realized what I had agreed to, I was unhappy that I had done that. So instead, it is okay to let them know, regardless of who this is, if you're talking about pricing, that you will get back to them within 24 to 48 hours with a more formal proposal specifically if it's a new project. Obviously, we have talked about with our past clients, we don't really send formal proposals, um, but let them know that you will get back to them, but you're not gonna give them a number over the phone or over Skype. And I think that might be kind of weird to some people, but for most potential clients, they're totally gonna understand, but please, just from past experience, do not do this. Oh gosh, I have done that so many times too, and it never turns out well. And actually, about an hour before we got on to record today, I had this situation pop up where I was on a consult call with someone, and she straight up asked me for the price on a call. And probably three, four months ago, I would have tried to say something, Um, but instead, I said to her, um, yeah, after after our call, I'm going to kind of write down everything, go go over, make sure I'm not missing anything, and I'll send you a proposal, you know, within an hour. Because I know, thinking back to what I was prepared to say on the call, I would have shorted myself by about $300 just on this one project. Oh, well, my that would not have been good. And Corey still had to <laughs> convince me to increase my price that I ended up giving. So, I mean, it's so easy to do because, yeah, like you said, we just want to make them happy. We want to get a good reaction when we say it. We want them to, you know, be like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do it. But no, it's just not worth it. So... Yeah, be if you do talk about pricing, be confident. But if you if it's not like a set package, don't just make something up. Yeah, definitely. That. Um, also on calls, when you're setting expectations, always end the call by telling them what to expect next. So are you going to follow up via email? Are you waiting for something from them? If you're starting a project, what are the first few steps in the process that they can expect? Um, this just helps them feel confident. You know what you're doing. They know what, you know, they know what's coming up and it's just a really good, nice, easy step to include on calls. 
Yeah, I think this is really, really important to do because it's going to avoid you potentially forgetting to follow up with them on something or them following up with you way too many times, which is the worst thing that could ever happen, especially mm -hmm. before you book the project. Yeah. So yeah, like you're saying, let them know this is how soon I'm going to get back to you or can you get this to me by this date so that everyone is on the same page mm -hmm. about here are the next steps. Yes. And then my last tip for setting expectations on calls specifically is to avoid stretching your office hours to take calls at all times, um, you know, just for any little request. So I think sometimes I'm willing to do this every once in a while for certain clients if it's something we agree that a call is needed for. Um, but you don't want to teach people that you're going to be available for them at all hours of the day. So avoid it at all costs. Just yesterday, I had a client ask if I could open up some more time today um, at an earlier time because she is in the UK. And yes, I do try to be to accommodate people that don't live in the US, but today I just couldn't do it. So I let her know, you know, I can't do it today. I have these hours I could open up for you on Friday instead. So that just let her see, okay, I'm standing my ground. I have these boundaries in place for a reason, but I'm still willing to be flexible and willing to work with her and I'm not going to be impossible throughout the whole project. So it's kind of a balancing act, but don't just always agree to crazy times that your clients want to get on calls, especially, you know, nights and weekends. If those are precious to you, keep those for yourself and your family. Yeah, I think this is one of the most important boundaries and expectations you need to set with your potential clients and with current clients. The very first time they approach you about any kind of extra call, stick to your guns about when your office hours are. You know, I have talked about this in the episode where we talked about our um, work-life balance. Mm -hmm. I'm very strict about when I'm done for the day. So unless I really love the client and want to get on Skype with them for some reason, I'm not going to say, yes, at 4.55, I will take a call with you. <laughs> nope, you are going to have to wait until the next morning or earlier in the day the next day. And I agree that it definitely is a balancing act. Sometimes you do kind of have to bend your schedule to make it work. But I think um, it can help avoid having to do calls that you don't necessarily need to have. Yes. If you will you know, put your foot down, make sure you're in control of the project in this way. And it'll force your client to be like, okay, well, I can't wait until, you know, next Monday to talk to you. So let me just send you this email instead. Exactly. That's always the goal, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. So speaking of emails, I want to talk about a few ways um, that you can be confident in your emails, which is helping us set these expectations that you are in control. Um, first, watch the language you use. It is so easy to send these passive, really sweet and fun emails, but then we just sound like we're a friend, you know? We don't sound like we're in charge of this project, we're here to get them results, things like that, and I've run into huge issues with that in the past. So just be careful that you're not sending a lot of passive voice in your emails. I actually used the Just Not Sorry Chrome extension for a long time, and it helps if you use like words like just, or you're like, I just think, stuff like that. It's gonna highlight it for you, and you can change that from kind of like sounding unsure of yourself to sounding confident. So that's something I used for a while. Corey, I think you used it too, didn't you? 
Yeah, I used it for a little while, and then I think I got annoyed with it. I was like, leave me alone. I want to say just in this sentence. So I just deleted the Chrome extension from my browser. But I do think this is a really good thing to do, especially for women, because I do think that we oftentimes take a more passive approach to things, especially conflict. And you do want to, you know, try to justify yourself. You, I've noticed that a lot of people say, I think, I think this is such and such. And I'm guilty of doing that too, right here on this podcast. But by saying something, you obviously think it, or it's your opinion. (laughs) Obviously, that's why you are stating it. So that is something that I have caught myself taking out of emails. Stop saying, I think this is the best decision. No, you say, this is the best decision because X, Y, Z. You sound so much more confident. They are going to say, okay, I trust you, whatever. Or they're going to butt heads with you and annoy Mm. you in their response. And something else that I think is, um, see, there I go. Something else that's a really good idea to include or not include rather in your emails are apologies. And so Mm -hmm. I love that this Chrome extension is just not sorry because I see a lot of my peers and myself as well respond to people and be like, I'm sorry it's taken me so long. I'm to get sorry it to took you. me a whole 24 hours to answer your email. You're not sorry <laughs> no. about that. I'm not sorry about that. So um, I can't remember what blog post it was, but someone, they wrote a blog post and they pointed out that they say, I'm finally getting back to you. So if I really have accidentally taken a whole entire week to respond to mm-hmm. someone, I actually do say, I'm finally able to get back to you, you something like that, instead of, I am so sorry that it's taken me so long to get back to you, blah, 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 blah. Because, I mean, it just sets this boundary that they should expect to hear back from yeah. us sooner. And, you know, we don't find what we were doing that important and whatnot. So, yeah, definitely check out that Chrome extension, if for nothing else than just, like, a day. So you can make sure, you know, what kind of emails you're writing because, uh, yeah, I definitely think that's a good way to make sure you're kind of losing that passive voice and being, you know, HBIC with your project. (laughs) (laughs) And if you don't know what that is, Google it with no children around. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Okay. Another way to stay in control and set expectations in your emails is to only send emails during office hours. So I used to be so awful at this. And I know Corey just wanted to like smack me across the face, especially when I was working my full-time job. Um, then my office hours were like 4 to 8 p.m., but I was always answering emails during the day while I was supposed to be working at my actual job. And that set those expectations. Then clients started expecting emails at those times and wondering why I wasn't answering sooner if it took me till, you know, the evening to get to them. So no matter how tempting it is, don't do it. Use a tool like Boomerang or, you know, some other scheduling software to schedule your emails if you're not responding during office hours. Yep, this is a big one. She's right. I wanted to shake her, not smack her, because that seems kind of. Oh, too much. that's nice. That's But I did want to shake you a little bit sometimes. They're going to be okay if they have to wait two days to hear from you yeah. so you can have a normal weekend. 
Um, so yeah, definitely keep that in mind your office hours. <laughs> okay. And the last thing that, um, the last tip about remaining in control of your projects through email is to not over explain yourself. So whether this is your pricing, what you think their package should include, why you did things a certain way with their design, tell, you know, let them understand, you know, relate it to what they asked, their goals, things like that, depending on what you're talking about. But don't sit and justify and defend yourself because that makes them think that you're defending yourself for a reason. It makes them want to argue with you. So while you want to like explain things, you don't want to over explain or defend yourself. Yeah, and I think pricing is the best point here because it's often, you know, we say your project is going to cost $1,000 and here are all the things that I'm including to make it cost $1,000. In that instance, I can just see you're opening the door for your client to be like, well, actually I don't need that. And I don't understand what that is. So take those things out and make this thing cost less. And you're like, whoa, 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 that's not how I work. No. So, you know, don't, don't try to justify things. And one good thing that I like to do is if I have just written a really, really long email, I'm like, whoa, this is too much for the normal average person to handle. I'll read back through it or send it to you guys in the mastermind group and being like, what, what am I saying too much here? Cause sometimes that is the case. You just kind of get lost and you're like, please really like this. Please accept this project quote, please, you know, all yeah. this stuff. And sometimes you do just need like an extra set of eyes to make it more simple. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah, it's easy It's easy to just sneak in those things without even realizing you're doing it. And it just includes so much stuff that's not necessary. So yeah, if you have a mastermind, it's definitely helpful to be able to run things by them, especially while you're just trying to get the hang of it and like get used to only sending what you need to in a way that lets you remain in control, you know, by using the right voice and saying the right words specifically, things like that. Yep. And if you don't have a mastermind, don't forget about the Facebook group. Because yes. I know a lot of people do like to turn to the Facebook group to ask for opinions on emails. Mm-hmm. And we are all very happy to help you I like you with those that. ones. They're fun. <laughs> it's like a game. I like seeing how all different everyone's approach is, but most of the time yeah. it's always pretty similar. Yeah. All right. So the second big piece I want to talk about when it comes to setting expectations is outlining how things work in your welcome material. So with this specifically, I'm thinking about intro and welcome packets. We talked about those quite a bit with Aaron in episode 14, but in these welcome materials, explain how your process works. Um, Doing this before you even start your project leaves less room for questions and it makes it far less likely that they will think they need to guide the project. So for example, before you get to revisions, they should know how many rounds of revisions you have. They're not going to try to push for more. They're not going to expect more because you said right from the beginning they get whatever, two, three rounds of revisions. Um, Along with your actual process, outline how and where you're going to communicate. Um, like if you're going to do email, if you're going to do Asana or Trello, say those things so they know what to expect. So they're not like emailing you constantly if that's not how you want them to communicate with you. Also say what your office hours are so they know when to expect to hear from you 
mention how deposits and payments are handled. So when you ask for 50% up front, they're like, oh, I can't do that. I'd rather pay for the whole thing ahead of time. No, they knew before the project was booked that you're going to ask them for 50%. And then also include things like what to expect if your working relationship doesn't work out, things like that. Any really important policies and procedures that you don't want questions on during your project should be included in this welcome material. Yeah, and I definitely agree that mentioning all of those things in your like onboarding or even your intro packet will definitely help set expectations. And I think it's good to add here that in terms of the actual project when you're working on it, you do want to make sure all of that stuff is crystal clear in your contract, mm -hmm. especially what to expect if the project isn't working, because this gives you the clear steps to follow if you need to put your foot down or cancel the project to make sure that you are still the person that's in control. Yeah. So good to mention those things to kind of set expectations, but also very important to have them outlined in the contract you're asking your client to sign because otherwise it's impossible to, you know, take control back over if you haven't mentioned some of those things yeah. in your contract. Cause then you just have to be like, well, but I mentioned this and they'll be like, I didn't sign anything like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're going to do whatever I want you to do. <laughs> you guys could see her head swaying back and forth. Yeah, but I think, I think there are a couple good points there. First, you want to include things in both your welcome materials and your contract because people don't read things. Nope. So include stuff, you know, the important things in as many places as you can. So there's a less chance of them being like, I didn't see that. You can be like, well, it was here, here, and here. So you should have seen it. And yeah. then also, like Corey was saying, if it's in your intro, welcome pack, and it's really important, it should also be in your contract. And your contract is another place where you can expect, where you can set these expectations. So that might be the biggest place, but it's also the place that uh, a lot of people tend to skim over. So that's why I like to pull out extra important pieces, put it in plain English somewhere other than a contract in case someone is skimming. But yeah, it definitely should be everywhere. Really important things should be in multiple places. All right, so the next way to remain in control of your project is to make each step of the process clear ahead of time. And we talked about this a little bit already, but I want to break it down a little farther. So you never want to leave your clients wondering what's coming next. Um, this is going to leave them wondering, um, you know, just they're just not going to feel confident about the project. They're not going to know what to expect. It's going to lead to them assuming the worst. They're going to think you're behind. They're going to get cranky about it. I did this with my designer. When I worked with my designer two years ago, uh, I had signed on with her two or three months before we actually worked together. And our start date came around, and I hadn't heard from her since I paid her deposit and signed her contract two or three months ago. And I was like, okay, is she starting? And I sent her an email. I was like, hey, you know, we were supposed to start today. Is everything okay? What's going on? That was probably super freaking annoying to her because she <laughs> had started. But I didn't know that. You know, I was worried that she forgot about me or, you know, something bad happened. So I, as the client, wasn't being malicious and trying to be annoying. I was generally concerned about the project. And she was just trying to do her job. So never leave people wondering what's coming next about your project's progress. Um, it's also going to keep them from trying to guide the process on their own to make sure it stays on track. Um, that's kind of what I was trying to do when I emailed my designer. I wanted to make sure like, hey, this is our start date. You're starting, right? Like, that's not my job to guide the project, but I felt like I had to. And then also, 
it'll keep them from thinking that the process they have in mind and expect is better than yours because you're going to have yours outlined. They're not going to have really any room for question. You know, it's just, it's there. That's how it's going to be. So it's really helpful to have everything outlined ahead of time. Don't leave them wondering what's coming next. Um, and the good place to outline this is in your welcome materials like we went over. You can include a little bit on your services pages. I don't like to see big process outlines on services pages because it kind of um, distracts from trying to get them to book the project. Um, but in my own intro packet, I have a sample project schedule that I include. And then in my welcome packet, I actually include the exact schedule for each individual project. Just because even though it's in Asana, like I said, I want people to understand how things are going to go right from the beginning. So if, if you don't want to have to send like completely customized welcome packets, you can just stick with that sample. Um, but make sure they just know how things are going to work and, you know, kind of the an idea of the timeline for different pieces. Yeah, I definitely think that mentioning the timeline and just general steps of your process are really good to kind of include. And I think it's totally okay to include like a sample version or your general, mm -hmm. here is what my process looks like for these packages. Yeah. And then put like a caveat, but your package may be custom. So this may be tweaked just a little bit. But here is a general idea of what you can expect while we're actually yeah. working together. Yeah, exactly. Um, another place you can make each step of your process really clear ahead of time is in your project project management software. So something like Asana or Trello that's shared with your client so they can see it. Um, I really like using Asana and I use a description feature for each task. So for a task, I like have, I have literal paragraphs inside the description saying how that step works and you know what's included and what they can expect. So for example, my task for revisions explains how revisions work, what they do and don't include, how they should present their feedback to me, when it's due and what I'm going to actually do with that feedback. So it's, it doesn't just say revisions, figure it out. You know, they know exactly what goes along with revisions. And that's been really helpful for me. Yeah, I read this in your outline before we got started recording. And I freaking love this. I've never thought to, you know, remind them here is what we're doing and here is why we're doing it. Because I do see that sometimes clients don't understand certain parts mm -hmm. of a process. Like I know I've gotten a lot of, um, I've lost a lot of time with projects because of the mood board phase because the client didn't understand the whole point. And so, you know, I got their stuff back from them and then it's like, no, we need you to start over. Mm -hmm. So I think this is a genius idea and I can totally see how it would be a good way to again bring up something one more time tell them in a third or fourth place even you know this is how many revisions you get and this is how I expect them to work with the mm -hmm. project such yeah. a good idea yeah exactly awesome so my last tip for remaining in control of your projects by making your process clear is just giving your clients regular updates. Like I know this seems so, so simple, but even with your process outlined somewhere, it does not hurt to give your clients regular updates at any time. So just send them a quick message in email or in your project management software, even if it's just to say that everything is on track. 
And it might feel like pointless and like you're sending extra messages, but I do this for my clients every Friday, even if I don't have much for updates, even if I'm literally just saying, you know, everything looks good, have a great weekend. And I have only ever gotten positive and appreciative feedback from that. They love staying in the loop. They love hearing good news about their project. So just give regular updates no matter how small they are. Yeah, I think this goes back to not um, having your client in the dark on what's going on with their project. Because if you're not giving them updates, it opens the door to them, like you said earlier, wondering what's going on. And not only that, but sending us 5,000 pesky emails Mm -hmm. about what are we working on? What do they need from us? When are they going to see, you know, more Mm -hmm. design work? So I do think it's a good idea to kind of give them an update. And something fun you could do here is if you are doing design work and you have kind of a long process where they don't hear anything from you, you could give them an update that's like, hey, I'm really enjoying working on things. Here's a little sneak peek. And you could Mm -hmm. like take a screenshot of your Illustrator artboard or something like that and kind of get them excited again, you know, just like it was the very beginning of the project. Um, And they're like, oh, I definitely can't wait to see when you upload this whole Mm -hmm. thing. I like that idea. That's, that is extra fun. All right. So the last thing I want to talk about when it comes to remaining in control of projects is knowing when to put your foot down. And this is literally just absolutely never fun to do, but there's times when you have to stand your ground and tell your clients how it's going to be, no matter how clear you have made everything situations like this do still come up. So it's important that you get these situations taken care of the first time it happens. So you can teach your clients not to do it again, rather than letting them upset you and walk all over you over and over and over and teaching them that it's okay. It goes right back to those expectations. So, you know, you never want to dread seeing someone's name pop in your inbox just because they've taken that control from you. So that's why it's so important to set this boundary right away. So, I have a couple different examples of this. You know, a more simple laid back one is if your clients are asking for things like extra revisions or they're asking you to do some, some, something real quick for free, you know, that's not included in a project. You could do that, but then they're going to expect you to do that over and over again. So you don't even want to do it the first time, which I know is easier said than done. I struggle with that too. Um, But there are more extreme cases when you just have to cut the project off completely. And I've had this happen one time. A client found out I was on vacation and flipped out. She was like, is this a joke? And like totally when I was at Corey's house, she totally went off on me in an email and I just canceled the project. I was like, no, it's not a joke. I am on vacation. I, you know, we're on track with your project. Um, You know, your work is being done. But but now it's not. I said this really nicely in the email, but I just cut the project off because something I said earlier is when you are talking a certain way in emails, it makes people feel like you're more friends than, you know, in this, you know, doing business work. And that's that's the situation I got myself into. She thought it was okay to talk to me like that. And it had, you know, littler things had happened before. So this was just kind of the icing on the cake and I needed to cut it off. Hopefully you never have to do that. Yes. (laughs) I was going to say, I actually remember that project and Mm. I think we talked about it in the episode where we talked about boundaries. Okay. And, um, so I'm like really refreshed on that because as a recording, um, I was just listening to that episode the other day. So I remember you were talking about, it was the support period. 
And yeah. the client yeah. was like, this is, is it a joke that you're on vacation? And you're like, this is your support period. You shouldn't yeah. even technically need me for anything. <laughs> so no, it's not a joke. But I am still here to, you know, answer any questions. And I think another thing that you mentioned about this project um, is something goes back to what you said just a second ago, which is there were smaller things that had happened earlier in the relationship that you had let slide. And so when it finally got to that point, you were like, I'm done. I'm over it. I'm tired of you talking to me this way. And not to like beat a dead horse, but that goes back to another project that you've had that we've referenced (laughs) many, many times where the client was not getting mock-ups to you on time this is where the client was kind of controlling the project and you didn't set your foot down the first time. So it was so much harder and more painful when you did finally have to say, okay, enough is enough. Here is how we're going to move forward because it's so much harder to get that control back than to just have it and maintain it through the whole project. Yeah. And that made me think when you are letting things slide and trying to be the nice guy, it increases the likelihood that you are going to take that drastic action. So for me, it meant having to cancel a project uh, or yeah, cancel that the project with the email I was on vacation for the one, the other one you brought up where they weren't getting any mock-ups on time. I had to reschedule, which actually led to them canceling altogether, where if I would have put my foot down the first time for both of them, we might've been able to work something else out, you know, delay fees and we restart in a week or something like that, or, you know, whatever it is. But since I kept letting things slide, I didn't set expectations. Things just exploded. So yeah, just, just don't do it. Hopefully that will never happen. But if you do find yourself kind of having to guide a client and put your foot down and set these boundaries, always be polite and stern at the same time. Like don't leave any room for questions, but also don't over explain it. So you're not justifying yourself. You're not like arguing with them. You're saying this is how it is done, you know, while still being polite. Um, And yeah, cutting off the project completely is like the last resort, but it's something you have to keep in mind. It's an option for you. You are in control. I think those two are really good points and the polite and stern, I just want to give an example because I think some people might be kind of confused how am I nice but like mean at the same time. Yeah. And a good example of that is if someone is requesting a call and you don't take more than one call or two calls and they're requesting something outside of that, you can say something like, I totally see where a call would be beneficial here, but unfortunately we have already used up the calls that were allotted in your project. So if you would still like to book this one, it will be billed at this price. If that's okay with you, here is the link to schedule a call with Mm -hmm. me. That way you can still be polite. You know, I understand this is needed for whatever reason, but hey, we're already done with that. So you're still kind of putting your foot down and, you know, keeping things in your court. Mm -hmm, For sure. So as a quick recap for this episode, really just staying in control of your projects helps you all around, even just down to feeling more confident. So the three things we went over were setting expectations from the very beginning, making each step of your process super clear, and then knowing when to put your foot down. 
So your action step for today is going to revolve around making your process clear ahead of time. So look over all your welcome materials, everything from your intro packet, your contract, and your welcome packet, and make sure your process is clear, there's not really any room for questions, and you are setting the groundwork for how everything is going to go. Thank you so much for listening. For show notes, past episodes, and more information about the two of us, visit us online at getbacktodesign.co. If you enjoyed today's show, it would mean the world to Krista and I if you take two minutes to head on over to iTunes and leave a review. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe so you can be the first to know when new episodes are available. Now put what you learned into action so you can streamline and grow your business, ditch the code, and get back to design.